Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up? Late on a Wednesday, Thursday, whenever you may be listening to this, I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We've got our man Weldon Rodenberg back on, brought him out of hibernation for uh, some spring football talk. We uh, got into a lot about the Ole Miss Rebels quarterback situation, Spencer Sanders candidacy, his uh, injured shoulder, and uh, just kind of what to make of this team and some storylines through the spring. And of course, at the end, the fastest growing segment on American soil, Soccer Corner, as uh, the, I can't even remember the name of the team now, Arsenal is now taking control of the English Premier League. So great show. I think you'll enjoy it. But before we get to that, though, wanted to remind you, cast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. So the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix and an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. If you did not use Skybox on March Madness, you probably didn't win any money, which is a shame. If you'd use Skybox, you definitely wouldn't. They're the best handicapping service in the business. They've got all kinds of different sports. The NASCAR is crushing it right now. It's not too late to sign up and uh, profit on the final four of the national title game. We've got the NBA playoffs coming up. All kinds of great stuff. All you have to do is go to skyboxsportspicks.com, find a picks package that's going to fit your price range, use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and that'll get you 20% off. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, it's rippywrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me and discounted meats. Right now, the deal is three six-ounce bacon-wrapped fillets. For 20 bucks, that's about a $40 valuation you're getting there for 20 bucks. Just go in, show Greg or whoever's in there proof of subscription. He'll get you set up. Then go find all your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world, Crown Jewel of Oxford. I love the sausages, fresh seafood, all kinds of different stuff there. Check them out, LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here is our guy, Weldon Rodenberg. All right, we now welcome on the man himself, fresh out of hibernation, Weldon Rodenberg. Welcome back up for some spring football. Um, Ole Miss is, I guess we're about a week into spring practice at this point as we record this on a Tuesday night. How are things going, my man? You're inching closer to being married. When is the big day? Have I ever asked you that? I know you did an engagement party. It's got to be coming somewhat soon. The big day is June 17th. Oh, it is absolutely coming up. And uh, a bunch of my friends, like four of my very good friends are all getting married in these same six month span. So I've already been to two of them and it kind of makes the feeling itch a little bit. Um, So I've been in a lot of of wedding stuff recently, which is no, I mean, we talk about it almost every time we're both on here. That's just the, the part of life that we're both in right now. No doubt. That's awesome. Coming up, coming up soon. Um, Ole Miss weekend to spring. There's clearly, you know, I've, we talk, I think the last time we talked on this show, I I almost like threw, I threw a take at you of like, should we just be devaluing spring in terms of what you can actually can and can't tell? And while that piece of it may be true, um, the opposite has happened in terms of like the conversation and the uh, fodder, I would say that comes out of spring because um, you've had both quarterbacks be made available to the media in the week that since uh, since spring has started. Um, Kiffin has talked to the media twice, once to open spring, once on Tuesday afternoon as we record this after they kind of had their first like week of practices and the weekend practice or whatever the case may be. I guess we'll start with what everyone probably wants to talk about. We've now gained a little bit more insight on this quarterback competition, so to speak. 
when we last left off, we were trying to make sense of the Spencer Sanders thing. We didn't really have any knowledge of this shoulder injury that he's seemingly dealing with. And we both, if I remember correctly, kind of ended up split. You were like, hey, I don't know why Sanders would be here if he didn't think he was going to be the starting quarterback. And I was like, well, I agree with that piece of it. But like, I can, like, it would be hard to entrench Dart or unseat Dart as the entrenched starter, even if it was kind of an open competition because it's just such a short time window. Like, where do you sit now on this? What do you make of this now that we learned that Spencer Sanders is not really throwing the football regularly? Well, I mean, I'm not really sure how you can actually compete for a starting quarterback job if you can't throw the football. And, you know, I, we devalue spring football for, you know, pretty good reasons. But, you know, when it comes to a quarterback battle for a guy who just got to campus, it is pretty important. That seems important to, to be able to throw. throw. Yes. So, I mean, I don't think anyone has any more clarity on the situation now than we did, you know, a month or two ago, whenever it was announced that both Howard and Sanders were coming to campus. Um, I mean, people can sit here and assume that one will be gone, but you don't know that for a fact. Um, so, no, I mean, there's like no more clarity. This whole situation you know, really doesn't make any more sense than it did. Uh, Kiffin's answer in the press conference talking about, you know, building a stronger quarterback room. Like, I, I get that. I completely agree with him. I, I do believe, and I, I heard Chase say this today, that, you know, quarterback is a little bit different of a position than, than everything else in the field. It's the most important, and one guy usually is the one playing. So it's kind of like that conundrum of, you know, if you have three quarterbacks, you have zero. If you have two quarterbacks, you have zero. Um, and I don't know where they stand on this. Do, do, is this – was he brought in to challenge Dart? Was he brought in just straight up to start? Uh, you know, it's just a foregone conclusion and throwing doesn't matter. I, I really don't know. And it, it's funny. And now we were talking about this a little bit before we started, but I was listening to the Cover 3 podcast. It's a CBS Sports deal. It's Danny Cannell and Tom Fernelli and Bud Elliott. Kind of a, a conundrum of people. Or that's, not our, that's not the word to use there. But it's just a, a different selection of different people from different backgrounds. And they really just talk football, no, no bullshit politics, like a lot of college media these days. And they're going through all of the, the quarterback competitions all around the country, which I don't know if you knew this. And I really like never thought about it, but there are a ton out there. I mean, there are a ton of like serious national championship programs dealing with quarterback competitions. They what's one you didn't think of real quick? That's fascinating. Like what's one that oh. you listen, you thought like you're like, oh shit, I didn't even know that was happening. I mean, Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama. I mean, all three of them, UCLA, you know, I know you don't think about them, but they had a really good year last year. They have a new five-star kid that came on on campus who's going to start for TCU. Uh, I mean, LSU, they have Daniels back, but Nussmeyer still it's a ton of a ton of teams um, that are, I mean, really, I mean, Tennessee, you don't know who's going to start for them necessarily with with Milton and the five star. Now the hooker's gone and they started going through all of these. And I was like, wow, like this is fascinating. Like, I just I can't remember these this many like real significant programs of quarterback battles. And then they got to Ole Miss. And they were like, yeah, this one doesn't make any sense, <laughs> which is basically the same thing that we've said that Neil and Chase have said, like, we don't really know what's going on here. You know, they had Dart and he was, you know, not great down the stretch. And now they brought in Sanders and he has a shoulder injury. And then they brought him, brought in Walker Howard. And, you know, we don't really know anything about him because he didn't play. So I guess it's just a crapshoot, which is exactly how I feel about it right now. Yeah, and that's the inter that that's one of the fascinating elements of all this too. Is one of the things I was going to ask you is we talked about this back in December, where you knew they were going to have to bring a quarterback or multiple quarterbacks in. 
And so right. I, I, right. I, I, I started with this. But but like all like who you bring in, like that that's not all created equal. Not everybody, like not every person, not every prospect, like that they don't mean the same things. And I think this is a perfect example of that. I'll kick it to you in the form of like a recruiting question, kind of your bread and butter in that sense. How unusual because I remember when it was just maybe I had this wrong. No, they had three in there. How unusual would it be to go through spring with just two scholarship quarterbacks? Say it was just Howard and Dart and Sanders was not in the picture from a recruiting and kind of a roster management standpoint. Would that raise any alarm bells? And if so, how much on a scale one to 10? You don't have to actually rank it, but you get the question. No, I get the question. I mean, you'd be very concerned. Um, Very. With just two. Yeah, with just two. With just two scholarship quarterbacks, you, you would be pretty concerned. Um, one, because country, like you could lose two in a heartbeat. You could lose two in a practice. But then just in terms of like the logistics of like having full team practices, ones, twos, threes. I mean, y- you can have walk-ons that can be serviceable guys, but you really don't need walk-ons getting as many reps as they would if you had two quarterbacks. Ideally, you'd have that third quarterback be either a veteran who just kind of knows his role, like a Kincaid Dent S where like you're not playing, but like you can absolutely, you know, run practice and understand what you're doing. Or you wanted that to be your, your true freshman, whether he's a red shirt potential or not being the guy that's getting all of those reps and you can call it meaningless, but you're, you're learning while you're doing it. You know, it may not be the full offense, but you know, that's just a lot for ones and twos. I mean, even if you're just running skeleton drills, I mean, you're just wasting a lot of reps on, on walk-ons who are never going to play. So you need three. You really love to have four. And in this, this day and age, it's just not the same as it used to be. That's just not going to happen. So like you said, you really did need to bring in a quarterback. But I think the issue – and not really the issue. The question is just why Sanders? You know, his he's such an enigma of a player, of a person, of a of a situation that it just brings a lot of confusion to fans, to to media, to to probably even the coaches a little bit. Oh my, what are we doing here? You know, I think this does go back a little bit to what we talked about and, and the issue that they've had just simply not being able to sign high school quarterbacks or not getting the one that they want, you know, not, not because, you know, you have an extra lottery ticket and a guy that could develop, but just because you have an extra guy, you don't have to go and bring someone in because the portal, you know, the intention of the portal is to fill holes. And if you saw last year, all these guys and all these teams that brought in quarterbacks, those guys were the starters. It's very, very rare that you would see teams bring in a portal quarterback for him to be, you know, a part of the competition or like not even part of the competition. You know, Howard is a unique scenario because I, you know, for all we know, he could be the guy. But I I think his situation is a little different. He's younger and kind of understands his role. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there about him being sack number two, no matter what, which multiple people have said. That's not just me. Um but the intention of what it would be for Dart to sign a high school guy versus sign a four-year starter, you know, what that says to him are two completely different things. I think that's why we're having these conversations of, like, what is going on with this Sanders deal? He's not even throwing. Has he just been guaranteed the job? Like, why was he signed? And I think all of them are valid questions, and you're never going to get a real answer, but it's why, you know, we're doing this podcast. Everybody's talking about it. 
um, because of just the uniqueness of this particular portal edition. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating case of just like like if you guys sat in there as re- recruiting guys, like you're in there in 2020. In a perfect world, if you're just dealing with you know binary metrics and that's probably the nerds are going to go crazy over that one, but just sheer like talent evaluation, you'd like to have the most talented people in the two deep and the three deep as humanly possible, right? Like that would be what you would want, right? Like one through three quarterbacks, you'd love to have three of the top five prospects in the country at quarterback, but that's not really how this world works. You're also dealing with people and you're dealing with like locker room cohesion at the same time. So you hit on it a second ago, the part that I thought was key about this. If you're going to have the three scholarship quarterbacks and kind of have that, you you know, what has become as the norm is like a healthy quarterback room. It's two guys that are maybe vying for the job or like a 1A or 1B or maybe even just a 1A and a traditional backup. And then a third guy that, like you said, that knows his role, that knows he's not going to be in contention for any serious playing time, but can run the offense and be fine. But at the other side of that coin is what you said. You can lose two quarterbacks and throughout a given season easily. You've seen countless examples of that through the years. Hell, you can lose them in a practice. So like the like most straightforward way to look at it is like, no, you just rather have the three best quarterbacks you can possibly have on the roster. But still, even with that, some of it has to make sense. It's not like they have the, uh, oh, what was that Ohio State season where they lost Braxton Miller? Was the other one? It wasn't TJ Barrett. And then they got down to Cardell Jones for the playoff game. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Cardell Jones. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was, it was Braxton Miller. I think Barrett might've been the year before, but long story short, they ended up at Cardell Jones. He was the third string quarterback. And um, but he won a he national was, title. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And beat Alabama, but that's a little different because they signed all three of those guys out of high school. Whereas you're now bringing in a kid. You know, Kevin used a term in his press conference today talking about, well, you know, Sanders injury. We were playing for the long term. It's like, dude, what is the long term here? Because like the most his Cole Miss career can go is like next December. We're talking less than a year. So what does the long term actually mean? And so I think that's what makes part of this so confusing and fascinating at the same time. Is you mentioned like you're not usually bringing in portal guys to sit. Ole Miss actually brought in a portal guy to sit in a way that pseudo makes sense and then brought in another one where it's like, I don't other like actually understand this, which is, you know, a fast, like it's, it's a fascinating dynamic, but this is also a byproduct of what you get when you don't sign a high school quarterback, right? Like this is, this is definitely the byproduct of that. Because if you had a high school quarterback in the mix that you sign in this class, this whole thing would make more sense. And Spencer Xander's probably wouldn't exist. Is that fair? I would say so. Yes, absolutely. Because you would have that depth and you'd have to be able to figure out what you have with the high school kid, of course, um, because, you know, it's, it's it's an exact science. You never know what you're getting. But I think a lot of this goes back to, you know, what does the staff think they have in DART? Like I mentioned before, if they had signed, I mean, unless I'm forgetting. No, yeah. I don't think they signed a high school quarterback this year. So they did not. If they, yeah, if they had signed a high school quarterback, that's not, you know, looking at Jackson Dart being like, okay, you know, your your time here is not is numbered. Um, but signing a four-year starter, you know, Spencer Sanders is like a whole different dynamic. And um, you know, that that's the real question is is it a motivational ploy and is Kiffin really, you know, did he really sign a kid just to never play him and just how to sheer, you know, motivate the guy that's there? Did he sign him to start? Uh, it, it's, this is the, this is the situation you get in when you haven't built depth in this, in this room, in this position. And yes, I do understand 
his answer, even if it's like not, even if it's difficult to take at face value, the I'm just trying to build the best room. Like, I don't even disagree with that. I, I understand what he's saying. I just don't necessarily believe, you know, that that was what all of this was. It wasn't just bringing in a bunch of quarterbacks that were available out there. Like, we just want the strongest room. I, I think this is one of two things is they don't trust Dart and Sanders is the guy or they really did just bring in a guy out of nowhere because he had nowhere to go and to motivate the guy that's eventually going to be the starter. Um, If I'm Sanders, why did I do this? I don't know. Um, I I actually was looking at a lot of his stuff and, you know, he throws a little few too many interceptions, but when he's healthy, he's a pretty dynamic guy, but he's not healthy right now. So it just adds even more confusion to the situation. Um, it, it's fascinating to to look at. I think that Ole Miss media are not the only ones, like I mentioned, that are kind of oddly confused by this. I know a lot of LSU people, especially ones that were frustrated with Howard leaving because they they thought a lot of him. When, when Sanders came in, they were like, what is going on over there? Like, did they tell Howard this was happening? Did they tell Sanders that they were bringing in Howard? Did they tell Dart that they were bringing in anybody? You know, it's just it's just so different than what we're expecting, than what we've been used to in college football that, you know, maybe we're behind or maybe Kiffin's just too far ahead. <laughs> you know, there, there, there can be a little bit in between, of course, but it's just it's just very, very, very unique. And it's difficult to get a read on the goal here. Yeah, and it, it 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 to be clear, like it's not necessarily like we're just kind of playing the like hypotheticals out, right? Because that's kind of the nature of this whole thing is like what makes sense. Like everything kind of has to make sense, and like obviously we're not in part of the program. We don't know what's going on every day or what the plan is, and that's not like that shouldn't be the case. You know what I mean? But like it's as media people or podcasts or whatever, it's like okay, you can see the plan here, and it be, kind of comes become more confusing when you can't see it. But that's not a critique of Kiffin per se at all. I'm just fascinated by the whole thing. But with that being the case, poking hole in the theory of the we're just trying to get the best quarterback room possible. It does seem like the odds of all three guys being there post-spring seem to be slim to none. So if your argument, if you're Kiffin or whoever, is we're just trying to be, build the best quarterback room, we, given the modern ecosystem of college football, the odds of all three of them being there post-spring slim to none. Kiffin's not a dumb guy. He probably realizes that to some degree. So like that doesn't necessarily carry any weight. And then the Sanders injury is the other piece of it. And I wanted to ask you this as like a former like recruiting guy. I don't know the timeline of the Sanders injury, when they knew about it, when the injury happened. You know, rumors as soon as he got there kind of started swirling about him possibly having an AC joint thing or a shoulder injury, I should say. I don't know when that happened. I know when you left this industry, the portal was still like new, so you didn't have like a cycle. But just your best guess, if they knew Sanders had a shoulder injury that was going to hamper him throughout a significant portion of the spring, do you think they still would have brought him in or do you think that would have changed how they handled things? I, I would hope that it would have changed how they handled things because you, like I said earlier, you can't compete in a quarterback battle, which is hypothetically what this is. If you can't throw the football and I know they haven't won a pitch count. I know like you just do you really want to drag this into fall? Do we want to do exactly you know what happened last year, which is you know, maybe Dart starts against Burser? Well, guess what? Then you have two lane, right? Two yeah. lanes the second game of the season. So no, like you're not rolling into that with like, oh, we'll we'll start Sanders this game. Cause you do that, you know, 
look up, you might be losing that game. That's going to be a really good football team next year on the road. It's going to be hot as shit at 3 o'clock in New Orleans on, in September or early August. I don't know when the season starts. Um, <laughs> but, like, you would have to imagine they did their due diligence and had him in and, you know, did a physical on him. It's what we did with almost every single player, you know, even high school kids, when, when we had official visits with Kiffin. I mean, they all got physicals. So, I mean, and they're not like, you know, they're not the most thorough. It's not the biggest deal in the world. But you would know if he had an AC joint issue. Um, you, this is not – you can't just hold that information out. Uh, well, I guess it's really not the NFL, so technically you could. Um, but, yeah, I, I would have to imagine that that would change the dynamic pretty dramatically. I mean, it's the same thing on, you know, if a kid had torn his ACL and just didn't like where he was at in, in college and you go to another place and you do the physical, be like, hey, where is this kid at? Like, are we really going to take this guy after this injury? You know, and high school is a little bit different because usually – you know, you honor that that injury or that commitment, depending on the situation. But, you know, this this is free agency. This is, you know, as close to professional sports without contracts as you're going to get. It's a little more cutthroat, you'd imagine. Uh, but it's really difficult to say. And, yeah, you're right. Uh, we were just starting the portal stuff when I was there in 2020. I mean, it was definitely there, but it wasn't the same, near the same, especially without the NIL now and of course all these guys are in nil deals so that factors into it as well but like you said in the beginning I, there's a zero percent chance that all, all three of these guys are on campus in the fall i there's just no way which you know i say it once say it twice say it a million times which is why this is so unique yeah exactly and so like the like in to 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 kind of give it a little more color to it sanders dealt with a shoulder injury that cost him quite a few games in the final month of the season i think he played his last game uh i guess that was ou the penultimate week of the season and so he sure. didn't play in that west virginia game and then didn't play in the bowl game so again and i don't know if like, maybe there was a re-aggravation again just to be very clear about that i have no idea what yeah, no, I didn't know reaggravation. That's again what the another like layer of mystery on this. I'm just curious about it. one of the things you pointed out was interesting. I guess I've never thought about this. So you guys did physicals on guys that took official visits, or did they have to become a signee? Like I, clearly, y'all like had to figure out what their medicals were. That seems a large part of playing football. But I guess I've never thought about that in a college sense. So you guys would do uh physicals for dudes that took visits, or would they have to be signees before you did that? Let me think. No, because Zach Evans wasn't a signee. No, we, we did physicals on kids on official visits. Um, he yeah. tried to get done on, on, on officials, but that was like there's no time to do it. And there were so many kids sometimes. Uh, but yeah, but he, like I said, it wasn't like a full blown like, you know, the Saints, you know, that recent situation where they found that Foster Morrow actually yeah. ended up having cancer. Like, obviously, it's not that dramatic. I think it's a very more of a simplistic um, background you know, their injury history and you do a few little stretching tests, make sure everything's all right. It, it's nothing as, you know, intense as you would imagine when you see like an NFL or like baseball, you know, when they go to the new team or sometimes those guys fail the physicals and the contracts and no, it's not that dramatic, but yeah, we, we would do it here and there on kids uh, for sure on official visits. Your last year at Ole Miss was the COVID, COVID. year, correct? COVID year, yeah. So that was a quarterback competition, kind of, if I remember correctly. Everything ended up getting canceled anyway, so it kind of bit irrelevant. I don't remember if y'all started spring or what, but Plumlee was going to be away at baseball had the world not shut down due to a global pandemic caused in uh, Asia. 
Um, what do you remember about that time and what, like, from a recruiting standpoint or just working on staff, like, did you think it was going to be, if that's a quarterback competition, it was going to be a significant disadvantage for Plumlee not to be there in the spring and playing baseball instead? I know that probably sounds like an obvious question. I'm just curious what you remember thinking about that at the time and how much, you know, injuries aside, how much traction can be gained or lost in a quarterback competition in the spring? I mean, a ton can be, you know, but that was even more unique because it was was a brand new staff. Yeah. Not only are you going, it's really hard to compare to this situation just because, you know, these guys were learning, you know, who the players were. I mean, I know Matt Corral had an incredible, you know, statistically he was pretty good in 2020 minus two games and in 2021, he was fantastic. But I'll tell you for a fact that that they wanted to look at finding out if we could get Derek King who ended up going to Miami before the whole deal. I mean, that was like a real, like we were trying to figure out if we could get him from Houston because I mean, the coaches didn't know Matt Corral yet. I mean, they they were like, we, we've got to get another guy in here. Like, I mean, they had a pretty good idea that Plumlee probably wasn't going to be a starting quarterback in this system, and they could see that during the spring. But, you know, Corral was still young at that point in time. Like, they had no guarantee he was going to end up having the season that he did um, in 2021. So, yeah, they were looking to get a new guy, and that was the beginning of the portal. But that was because – they were a brand new staff and they really had no idea what they were working with yet. It was like, we're coming in and have this portal. Let's use it and, you know, get the guys we think give us the best chance to win. There's just no guarantee that Spencer Sanders does that, in my opinion. Uh, I don't think he is nearly as highly sought after as De'Aaron King was. Now, King didn't have the best situation in Miami um, and turned out just, you know, he was really, really good at Houston and he was kind of dynamic, but it, just a very different deal. Sanders, you have like four years of data on this guy. Yeah. Like he is who he is. Um, I, I just don't see a dramatic increase coming to the SEC. And I, I know I'm sounding like I'm negative on this guy. I have absolutely no ill will towards Spencer Sanders or Jackson Dart or Howard. I do not care who gets it. If I mean, if Sanders comes in and you know heals up in the fall and he's fantastic, that's awesome. If Dart shows up and, you know, he he gets better and more accurate, understands things more, quicker decisions, great. If Howard takes over and decides that, you know, this year we're kind of a rebuilding, we want to see what we got with this kid because he might be the future, fantastic. Couldn't give a shit who the guy is. What we're talking about is just the dynamic. Yes. And that's the most interesting part of any of this. It's not the actual football. It's just – how is this decision made? The roster management with the portal and how Kiffin's used it has, has already been such an interesting topic amongst everybody. And this is like the cherry on top of how he's handled, you know, building at Ole Miss. And it it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> to me, it doesn't. Right. Uh, so it, it is what it is. I, I don't know how much more we can talk about it. Um, but I'm sure we will because, you know, we have more spring, we have more fall, and nothing seems to have changed, uh, of course, unless one of these guys leaves, and that'll be that. Yeah, and when you say, like, it again, just because we got to, toward the end of the year when things went bad and the old uh, message board got salty, we got accused of being, like, overly critical of Kiffin. When you say it, it doesn't make sense, it's not the same thing as, like, I don't understand why this guy's running this offense. They're going to go four and eight this year. It doesn't make sense that he's doing that. It, it it's it's clearly they have three very like pretty valuable assets. Spent since spent Sanders went healthy is a pretty valuable asset. It does it makes sense. It doesn't make sense in a different light. Like not that the outcome is going to be unsuccessful. It's just the arrival to get there is just like is 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 very I guess 
confusing to me. But hey, again, I'm not privy to those answers. Like he did, Lane Kiffin's not coming on this pod to explain that. If I had reached out to him, he'd be like, who the hell are you, kid? Um, but the, the you dropped an interesting note on King, De'Aaron King, where you guys were like, oh, we're going to try to go like look in to go get him. That's I'd never heard that before. That the way he made it sound, I just wanted to like, confirm it. That had little to do with the plan of Plumley being at baseball and was more so just a new staff. Let's get another guy in here because we don't know what we have, right? Like how much of a factor of Plumley not being able to go through that spring or much of it like factored into the decision to go get De'Aaron King, or was it just we're gonna do it because it's a new staff and we don't we don't know what we have with either one of these guys? No, I think it was definitely and nothing to do with baseball. I think it was okay. just a situation where it's like we want to get the best guy we could possibly get. You know, we don't know what we have here in Corral yet. We've only gone through so much. Like this guy's out there. Let's let's go get him. You know, and, and Derek King. I mean, people forget, but he was like a huge prize. Like everybody wanted that guy. I mean, he was just super, super, super dynamic at Houston. He was electric TV at Houston. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it wasn't like a slide on Corral or like you can call it. You know, it's such a hindsight, you know, discussion we're having because obviously Corral was a better college quarterback than Derek King was in, in the end. Um, but that, but that's also so different because, you know, Derek King could have worked in this offense. And Derek King, you know, just at his sample size was before Corral was a very successful and different kind of player. Spencer yeah. Sanders, you know, we don't know what he's going to be like here. We we don't know that he's a, a guaranteed upgrade from the current quarterback room. We don't know if he's even the second most talented <laughs> guy in this room. Um, and I know there's a lot of talk about, like, Drake May in Alabama. It was kind of a similar situation to what they were at. I mean, Bama has two guys, one that's played a good amount, that has shown flashes of being pretty dynamic, but you don't really know. That's so much different portal-wise than, than the Sanders deal because Drake May would come in and be the starting quarterback immediately, no questions asked. And that's just not what we're dealing with here. Um, and it's just kind of a – it's it's different in the portal era. Like I said, a lot of these guys that have been brought in are just guaranteed starters. Sanders is not even going through spring, and he has no more eligibility. So it, it's just it's just weird. It is very weird. We could talk a million different rabbit holes yeah. and angles with all this, and I'm sure we I feel like I'm repeating myself. <laughs> as we're yeah, going but like it, it, it's just fascinating. It's a fascinating exercise to talk through. I want to get to two more things before we go beyond quarterbacks, and then get to what everyone's been waiting for—the long-awaited soccer corner. When <laughs> one of the things that, that I thought of today, when I was talking to a couple of people, and I was kind of prepping for this podcast a little bit, was just as someone who's been in a football building. Uh, injury aside, like whatever, if you have two guys that are competing for a quarterback job in the spring, there's that off period between the spring and the fall. And I know there's workouts and stuff and you're not able to like practice and whatnot. Just from your experience being around it, is there any traction being made in a quarterback competition post spring leading up to fall? Or do you pretty much kind of pick up where you left off? from spring practice to fall camp. I just, I've always wondered if anything can happen significantly between then, you know, outside of a dude like getting arrested or something during the summer, <laughs> you all pray doesn't yeah. happen. But like, can, like on the field, can anybody do anything to change anything between spring and fall? Um, I mean, yes and no, I guess, which is, which is a great podcast answer. Uh, I'd like to say that spring is kind of like in a, in a NASCAR race. You're getting your pole position. 
So after spring, you know, the staff kind of evaluates where everyone's at and then, you know, kind of looking forward to fall so that when you get back into fall camp and things get serious, you have a much more, you know, definitive idea of who your ones and twos are. Now, quarterback is obviously a little different because it's not like, well, I mean, it's really not. You know, you kind of will have an idea of who's your one and then who's your two going into fall. I don't know why I said it was different. Um, but I think the interesting you know, situation with this specific quarterback battle is because what's the leadership aspect of it? You know, the quarterback is the leader of your football team. I do think that it was something that was a little bit lost with Corral last year. And it's not saying that Dart like wasn't a good leader and that Altmaier couldn't have been, but it was definitely the team was led more by committee and less by the quarterback, which is, which can be a little bit different sometimes. And you've seen it with Ole Miss teams, you know, there was the Kelly teams that were, you know, Kelly was the guy, you know, for better or for worse. Um, and then, you know, when, Ta- when Tayama was quarterback, you know, it was more of a laid back dude. I was there, you know, people respected him and loved him, but he wasn't exactly like your, your guy, your go-to. That was kind of your AJs and DKs and Marquise Haynes. Um, you know, who, who do they rally around? Are they all three going out together and throwing with all these receivers? You know, do the receivers begin to kind of, attached to one of the guys you know Spencer Sanders is in such a different life than these other two guys I believe he's married he is you know three years older four years older than both these guys you know he can drink alcohol technically (laughs) Um, well that makes him more uh, mature than me yeah I mean it's he he's in a different lifespan and you know that won't really necessarily affect this quarterback battle any differently but that is a factor you know you kind of build that camaraderie with a lot of these kind of team-led practices that you have, team-led workouts that you'll have, uh, team-led weight room sessions. You know, who, who's who, who's leading all of these? You know, if, if the team, like, do they like Sanders? Do they like Howard? You know, have they lost respect for Dart? I don't see why they would from a, you know, team friendship standpoint, but like, are there receivers that are like, you know, I'm kind of interested in this Sanders guy or like this Howard guy's throwing a hell of a deep ball. I may, I'm kind of attached to him. And all this stuff is a little bit too deep and a little bit in the minutia of how these things work, but it's not nothing. Um, so yeah, the pole position starts in spring, not a whole lot changes in the, in the summer, but I think you're going to start hearing, you know, the the inklings and the rumors of, oh, like, you know, the guys are starting to rally around somebody. And I, I don't know if that helps. I don't necessarily think it hurts. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, but I, I this sounds like it's going to be a situation where fall is just insanely important uh, for a, a second straight year, which is, like I said, it's not a good thing, not a bad thing. It, it's just a thing. Um, and it's become even more so now that you have all these three guys in there. No, that was a good answer. I mean, without putting words in your mouth, it sounds like the the spring is kind of the off season. Where do the leadership qualities take place? Where it doesn't necessarily make any huge difference on the field, but like you know, is there someone that stands out in terms of getting the receivers together to work out and make that kind of extra commitment? Just the cliche train that we all love in this sport, that type of stuff. Oh yeah, that whole the whole answer was it was just a large (laughs) cliche, and that's exactly what's going on here. That that's the best that the best way to put it. Just that's where the cliches are formed. If you want to really become the cliche guy, that's what happens in the summer. The last thing I wanted to get to on the quarterback piece of it is again, I'm not at practice anymore. Got a full time job, not walking out there in the middle of the week. I rely on my uh, cohorts Neil McCready and Chase Parham 
for uh, the practice notes and stuff like that. One thing that seems very consistent from practice is that um, Walker Howard turning heads. Sounds like he's having one hell of a spring. Uh, everyone that seems to walk out on that practice field is like, man, this kid can really throw the football. I can put it as we put this quarterback situation to bed. I have it on very, very good authority. You know, I've, I've heard a lot of speculation about, well, this role was guaranteed or this role was guaranteed. Particularly as it relates to Sanders and Dart, I can pretty much guarantee you that there was no role guaranteed to either one of those guys. There may have been a general understanding with the Walker Howard thing of like the quarterback of the future without like set, but there's no mapped out plan for any of this. But with that being said, it seems understood that Howard was kind of the future. You come back, you sit, he moves up one ring in the ladder that would justify the move from LSU to Ole Miss. Then it seems like, you know, everything goes well. It's kind of his team in 2024. I guess the package that into a question, he's clearly turned heads early on in camp. How willing do you think a staff would be to deviate from original plan? And if he really just turns out to be, and again, this is very early. This is just speculating down the road. Oh, way, way early, but I know where you're going. Yeah. If he just looks that awesome and continue looks that awesome. Do you think there would be a ton of hesitancy just like F it for the lack of a better phrase. And we'll do this now. Absolutely. Zero. If he ends up being the guy through spring and fall that get, that Kiffin and this staff believes gives them the best chance to win football games, he will be the starting quarterback. Despite, I mean, I, yeah, like it's pretty well known that he's going to be number two no matter what. That's, I mean, I don't even pay attention to this stuff as much as I used to, or at least talk to people as much as I used to. Uh, and even I know that. I mean, that, that's that that's gone across it, what everyone has heard with this situation. But yeah, if he is better than them and plays better and makes better decisions he'll he'll be the starter and honestly in a long-term view i think that might be the best case scenario um because you just know i mean i i I think it might be the best case scenario um i told you when he came what was going to happen with the media and lsu they were gonna be like oh like you know he couldn't hack it here you know he he didn't want to be behind you know, playing third string again, which he would have, yada, 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 yada. But what I also told you was that that was talking out of the other side of their mouth because the entire year, all you could hear from them was just how good Walker Howard looked at practice. They simply gave Daniel's job because he was the older guy, he's a senior, and he played fantastic last year. Like, he was the best player on that football team last year. Like he was, I mean, Perkins was just in a scenario where he had two guys ahead of him that were really good football players that were older. He, he was not some, you know, some just like total bust of a five-star prospect. So, no, I'm not surprised at all that you're hearing slight buzz, very, very, very early slight buzz that Howard's looked great. And if he's the guy, I mean, look, this schedule this year is just so daunting. I mean, I don't know if you've got a quarterback in the room that's going to change the dynamic of this season with the fact that you have to go to Alabama and to Georgia and to Auburn and, you know, even to Tulane and to Mississippi state. I mean, it's just a lot, but man, if Howard proves himself to be the guy and you can see him have like a really good solid season and know that next year that he's the guy, I think just in a trajectory way, that might be the best case scenario in all of this. And then, you know, Sanders can't really go anywhere that I'm aware of. And Dart, like, yeah, he maybe will be able to go somewhere. I'm not really, you know, hitting too hard on the books to figure out what his graduation situation is. Um, but long answer short, yeah, if he's the guy, he's the guy. This, this is no 
you know, we're you're here to sit because, you know, that's the deal we made. I mean, if he's better, he's going to play. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, this is a zero-sum game, right? I mean, if they end, end up at the end of fall camp and Walker Howard is the person that gives you the best chance to win, albeit maybe seemingly a long shot and against plan, that is probably what they'll ultimately end up doing. I know football coaches don't think this way. Last question I have on this is that would there be any consideration given to the schedule that Ole Miss has in 2023 versus 2024, kind of the talent cycle lining in 2024 and saying, yeah, we'll just play Dart, uh, Sanders, whomever, and hold him back and basically just be like, ah, we won't take him on the road at Tuscaloosa, not take him, have him start on the road at Tuscaloosa, start on the road at Athens and the kind of endure the brutal schedule that Ole Miss has in 2023. Yeah, I mean, I understand that question. Uh, my my counter to it would be that you're paying your head coach nine million dollars now, so like you should be expecting to win eight to nine games, or really even more. You should be expecting top ten results. So they should be working and figuring out, and they are. Like, they're, it's not like they're not, but putting themselves in the best position to win as many football games as they can. So, I mean, you got to start the guy that you're most comfortable with, the guy that gives you the best opportunity to win. That could be Howard, could be Dart, could be Sanders. We, we don't know, and we'll find out through this spring. And, and more importantly, I would imagine through the fall, I can see a situation where they maybe split the Mercer game in half and you know let the two guys, which my understanding would probably be between Howard and whoever is still there. You know, I just don't see a, a scenario where all three of them are there. I mean, it's not impossible, but it, it seems quite unlikely. Uh, considering this situation, but I don't, I don't see them just kind of kicking this season down the curb. They sure as hell shouldn't with the amount of money they've invested uh, in this program so far. It's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. There are actually other positions that Ole Miss is going to have to field uh, to be exact 21 of them uh, next year before, uh, before they roll out <laughs> for the first game. This kind of gets into the part where it's like, what can you actually tell through spring but it does seem like that there has been a little bit of, uh, I'd say, bump or traction or mojo with the receivers, whether it be Chris Marshall, Trey Harris. Again, early signs, but after a couple years of Ole Miss really struggling at receiver, it does seem like on the surface, and we probably knew this before we entered camp, but it just seems like a small form of confirmation, vindication, whatever you want to call it, that Ole Miss has upgraded in the receiver room in a year where they really had to when you have Mingo and Malik Heath depart the program. But after a couple of years, or if it were after it's like, well, how, how are you going to get three guys on the field? It does <laughs> seem like they've gotten known commodities who can contribute and are looking good during spring in a year they badly needed it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it sounds like Chris Marshall has been great. Um, I know one or two of the guys are injured. I know the ghost himself, Jalen Knox, has looked good this spring. I know he's still alive. He is a real person. <laughs> Apparently, Dart threw a pass to him, so we're vindicated yeah. there. No, I'll believe it when I see it in real life. Practice is just a just a mirage. Um, could be a decoy. Could be a um, stunt double. Yeah, <laughs> you've heard, you've heard some Brandon Buckhalter noise here and there. Some JJ Henry, a guy who's, who's gotten on the field and who's who's shown some good things. Um, it'll be interesting to see what you get from some of the young guys. Um, you know, Jordan Watkins is back, and he's been pretty reliable. You kind of know what he is. But there's just – it clearly feels like there's more guys that they're comfortable playing, you know, in an actual SEC football game this year, uh, which is good. Uh, I'm curious to see if Marshall – I think he is clearly has a chance to be the most talented. You know, is he going to be a legit SEC one 
um, is the question. Uh, you know, at A&M, he showed small fleeting flashes. Um, but you know what the kind of prospect he is, kind of player he is. Um, and kind of what do you see from the young guys? I think, you know, you're going to have to find some of those guys who can give you the opportunity to play. I mean, they play really, really fast. They play a lot of snaps. Um, and, you know, these games are long, 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 long. They're four hours. You need a lot of receivers. Uh, it, it's showing up these last two years in games that, you know, really could have been the deciding factor in some of these games. You think of Auburn in 2021, but they literally just did not have guys to throw the football to. Um, so that's definitely a very uh, good thing to hear coming out from at least these early days in spring. I'm just mentioning this name because it got Neil put it in one of his notes. Uh, Quay Davis is still around. What are your thoughts on Quay Davis? I feel like he's been there nine years. You've heard a lot about Quay Davis in the uh, peripherals. W- what's the deal with that guy from what you recall? Because that was a guy that was kind of around when you were around. Was was he not? No, I remember signing him. Yeah, he was in the, he was in my the last class when I was there. Um, whether that was the plan or not is a different story. Uh, I have no thoughts on Quay Davis. Uh, he's not going to play. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, he's just not. I mean, he he's a JUCO guy who like could didn't get on the field his first two seasons there. It, that's probably a wash, to be honest. I mean, if, I I can make something up if you'd like. No, no, no. That's the best answer. I wasn't even like presenting it as like, hey, what do you think about Quay Davis? Could he contribute this fall? It's just like, I feel like I've heard that name so much. And I guess it's Juco kid. He hasn't actually been around that long. He's just one of those guys that sticks in your mind where it's like, damn, I feel like I've heard this kid's name. No, I mean, it it happens. You know, we were, we needed receivers, you know, and you have to go find guys. And he was a guy that kind of came out of nowhere late. Um, had good film, you know, was a good looking kid when he came to campus, just didn't work out. You know, we had to, we, you have to try and sign guys. You can't just be like, ah, screw it. We'll just work on it next year. You know, the, the depth was really lacking uh, going into that season. And, you know, it has shown over the last two, it was a real issue and a real thing. Um, it just didn't work out. It happens. Seems like they're a little thin between injuries and whatnot on the defensive line. Um, you know, they brought in a couple of guys. They brought in the kid from NC State. They brought in a couple of them. Last year, we kind of heard a lot about the defensive line depth that didn't actually muster into much. Like, what do you kind of view just from a 10,000 level view of this defensive line room? And do you think it can be any better? I think it probably largely hinges on a kid that's playing baseball right now, don't you think? Yeah, I think that'll be a really interesting scenario. And I want to say this so that everyone hears it. You know, he's a defensive lineman. Like his roles and jobs are, are pretty simple, you know, that they definitely obviously run a lot of different types of bases and he's going to be lined up different places. But him playing baseball is not going to affect his football career. It is OK. If anything, it's probably a good thing. He's still staying in shape. And my understanding is that he still gets out there to practice on days that he doesn't have games. So he's still getting to see and get in the film room and stuff. It's just a lot of the honus is on him to, to be in shape for both sports. It's life. It's how you recruited him. It's how you got him here. Um, and I think he's got a chance to be be a really big contributor this next year. Um, I think the real cons- not concern, I think the real question is kind of like who who's getting to the quarterback on this team. Um, I love Cedric Johnson, but he's that's your guy. Not- yeah, love him. Love him. He's a great football player, but he's really not uh, healthy this spring. Um, they're going to be running a different defense. A guy where you're going to need a stand up outside linebacker to make this happen. And uh, another ghost name showed up in Jaden Dix, who was a guy they signed from Canada yeah. like two years ago. I saw his name pop up on a report recently. Uh, no, nothing about him except for he was like a random Canadian signee. So that's kind of cool. Hopefully he's really good if he's 
getting in the ones and twos. Um, it's just that's what it is with poor old man. These these some of these guys are like legitimately like I couldn't like if they punched me in the face, I couldn't tell you who they were. Um but yeah, I think we're gonna see in this next portal round, I think I think the defensive front seven is gonna be where they hit um pretty hard or at least try to. I know they just committed uh, a linebacker from Jones who like may or may not be on campus in the fall for, for fall camp, uh, summer camp. I have no idea. I think that'd be good. I know they signed a, a, another kid from Jones, if I remember correctly, who will be here in the fall because they figured out his graduation situation, which is wildly impressive. That is not an easy thing to do. And to find a kid that you think contribute and then get him here a uh, you know, six months to a year early is, is impressive on the academic crew and on Golding for like figuring out and do the due diligence. Uh, but that front seven is going to need some work. I think they've got a lot of bodies on the back end. I know a lot of them are injured this spring. Like I said, like we always say it's spring, it's okay. Uh, but you're going to need to see some of those guys develop, get healthy and like really come to play in the fall. Is it because you're going to that's another thing about this transfer portal. You're going to have another round of kids post spring that come into the program. And again, as I preface everything with is like you I understand that like the portal was new when you were still there and kind of exiting that industry full time. Like, is there any sort of like do you view positions differently in a post spring transfer situation? Like, is it harder for an offensive guy? Cause you have to learn an offense in a playbook, whereas defense, while yes, there's different defensive schemes. Hey, if you got the, the athleticism, you got the instincts, you're kind of good to go. Did you view, did you view uh, post spring transfers? If you're looking for an immediate impact guy, any differently based on um, what position they played and what side of the football? Yeah, I, you could say that there's there's different positions that would be harder to adjust. I, I will say that these guys are just paid a lot of money to, to figure it out, <laughs> to get these guys up to speed, and especially yeah. if you're bringing them in, in the fall, you're paying them in IL money. They, they better fucking figure it out, you know? And that's on the player, too. It's not just the coaches. Um, so I do completely understand your question. I think you saw with – who's it, Umana that came in? Yeah. Uh, that year, I mean, he was playing center. You know, that's you know a pretty difficult position, all things considered. He came in and was like the starter right away. So they, they have a pretty proven track record of getting guys in and having them contribute immediately. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, playing DB in a brand new defensive system, which is also new for the guys that are already there. So it shouldn't be, you know, too different for a kid coming in in the fall. Uh, I think a lot of this spring will be figuring out what those positions are. Like, where do they need to try to add people? Um, and that'll kind of flesh itself out in these next two weeks. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how they attack this fall. Cause it'll be, this is kind of, if I, I think really the first portal where it's like, this is an actual window. I think you're going to see a very different approach than you would right after the season ended. I think you're going to see a lot of guys, young guys, get in the portal this fall, guys who made the wrong decision or don't like where they're at or made promises that weren't kept. And I think it'll be really difficult on staffs to really figure out, like, do they want this kid? Like, oh, he came in after, you know, he was an early enrollee or he's a, just redshirted one year and he's already leaving. We have no film on him. Like, what do we know about this guy? I think you're going to see a lot of that. And you're going to see a lot of fans like clamoring for us to, you know, go after that four star, five star kid who's left. But like we always say, there's a reason <laughs> that they're in the portal. Um, and not too many times are they uh, overly positive reasons. Um, so I, I think you're going to see a very interesting dynamic in the in the fall 
I guess, summer window, um, kind of similar to, to Premier League soccer, the summer window that's going to be very different than after the season. I was going to troll you to wrap up, ask a question about Pete Golding defense. Like, what kind of defense are they going to run this fall? And, like, shocker, they're going to be multiple. I keep – I keep uh, be very multiple. I keep waiting for a day a coach is going to be – actually, we're not going to be multiple at all. Hell will hell will freeze over before <laughs> I get into a different formation. I mean, it just wasn't happening these days. But it, to package it into, like, an actual question, as someone who would be on staff, like when you have a new staff, new defensive coordinator, right, Durkin and all those guys came in there. Obviously, you have some sort of plan of what kind of scheme you're going to run. As someone who worked on staff, can you get a pretty good idea of what you're going to be as a defense from a schematic standpoint post-spring when you have a new coordinator? Yeah, I mean, you see it a lot in, like, the, the different drills that they run, the different way that they go about practice to, to implement the different schemes. You know, like I, like I always say, I'm not a – I'm not a defensive specialist. I'm not an offense specialist. You know, I can give you – I know enough to be dangerous, but I can't tell you exactly, you know, what I'm looking at day by day and what they're implementing. But I think it's just a lot about the different characters of the defensive coordinators. I remember when McIntyre came in and then we went to Durkin. You know, I, I both of those guys, I think, are incredibly good at their jobs. Um, but Durkin handled things very differently than McIntyre. I mean, it took a lot for McIntyre to get really, really frustrated. It didn't take Durkin all that much. Similar to what, between Levy and and, uh, and Rich Rod, I don't ever think I saw Levy yell at a player, and I don't think I ever saw a practice where Rich Rod didn't yell at a player. Um, I, I don't really know much about Pete Golding besides that he's really good at his job. I don't know what his demeanor is. I don't know what his you know defensive implementation is. Uh, it's going to be a lot more meetings. You, you, there's guys going to be held in those meetings a lot longer to kind of get things going so that when they go out to practice, it's not a lot of you know rerunning plays because you mess up an assignment. It's going to be a lot more slowly but surely getting into the rhythm. And usually that happens a lot more in the film room than it does on the practice field. Um, a lot of it's just the terminology. You know, the defenses all these days, you know, they're not all like just dramatically different than each other. Um, you'll have different positions in the field, of course, and you'll have guys moving different to different position rooms because of that. Uh, but it, it's it's really difficult to see a lot in the spring. I think you'll see in the fall, like you're not going to watch that spring game like, oh, wow, like that was so much different than Durkin. That's that's fascinating. Uh, you're going to see it, you know, the game one, you'll, you'll see how they're lining up. And, and just as a, from a simple observer, you should be able to sell a pretty significant difference. It's going to be interesting. We'll probably do one to wrap up the spring, but now to the main course, it is the fastest growing segment on American soil. It is soccer corner. A lot has changed. I've consumed a ton of EPL uh, in the days since we've last done a podcast. I had a bunch of weekends where I was in uh, at home, I guess I should say for the lack of a better phrase and not on the road, made it kind of a Saturday, Sunday morning tradition. Last time we uh, did a pod, if I remember correctly, Man City was kind of coming back up to the top, and it was like, all right, this is kind of a four, not foregone conclusion, but it's like, man, I, I don't necessarily know if Arsenal has the horses to pull it off. Well, they're now at a nice 69 points, eight points ahead of Man City, only nice. a handful of matches left. What are you viewing about the top of this league? Is it Arsenal's to lose now? Can Man City make up an eight-point difference in this time? It is it is officially Arsenal's to lose. Uh, they do have one game. Uh, City does have one game in hand. Arsenal's played one more game than them, so I think you know they'll probably win that one. It'll be five points back. It's a two horse race, um, it, but there's just not that many matches left. You know, we're just getting off the international break. Um, they got Champions League now. Arsenal, 
oddly enough, was actually eliminated from the Europa League. And for them, that's probably a good thing. That means less matches in order to to figure out if they can, you know, outlast them to to go through this race. Uh, it's going to be pretty difficult. It's definitely a two-horse race. Uh, I think Arsenal is firmly in first place. They just have, they just aren't dropping points. Uh, they just are not losing games. They are just getting three points in every single scenario that they've been given. They they have been the best team in this league all year. And yeah, there's definitely been times where it looked like City was coming and coming and coming, but then they would you know draw somebody on the road, and then Arsenal would just win at home. It's just it's just they've been slowly but surely eking out this victory. I think they're going to do it, which would be a pretty shocking upset, right? I remember we looked at the odds at the beginning of the year, and it was like they oh were like God. over twenty to one that Arsenal would win this league this year. Yeah, wow. Yeah, they they were probably like uh, the fifth or sixth best odds, but I mean, City was probably like two to one to win the league. Um, Liverpool was probably like four to one, maybe five to one. And then kind of went down from there and Arsenal could have been better than fourth best odds. Not because they're not like a historic club that had real talent, but they had not been able to prove it. This has been a very slow build for Arteta and this group. They've been there together for a while and it's just really, really clicked. We talked sticking with kind of the blue bloods of the league. You know, at the beginning of the year, Man United was the disaster. It was kind of your venting session on Soccer Corner to talk about what his disaster has been. Now they're all of a sudden, they're in a distant third place, but it seems like they've gotten it together. The real disaster is Chelsea. And I know we hit on a little bit this last time, but I mean, I'm looking at it now. They're in 10th place. How disgraceful of a season would this be for a kind of a core EPL club to drop down into just say double digits if they finish in 10th place. Like how, how bad is that? It's pretty unimpressive. Uh, it's really even worse considering the amount of money they spent in the, the winter transfer window. And then to come out with this new squad they've had and just been just wildly lackluster. I mean, they, they just couldn't score goals. Uh, I mean, they're just, they're tying, you know, one, one draw zero, zero draws or just straight up losing. Uh, they've just been really, really bad in league. Now, of course, Chelsea being Chelsea, they did advance to the next to the quarterfinals in the Champions League, taking out Dortmund. So they're still alive in that competition, which is obviously very important. But league wise, I mean, I, they're not going to be top four. It would be pretty shocking. You know, Liverpool has been much better as of late. Um, even though after they beat the absolute shit out of United, they had a just a bizarre loss to Bournemouth on the road the next week. So they're not exactly clicking on all cylinders, um, but they're they're still there. I mean, Brighton's been way better than Chelsea. I mean, Brentford's been better than Chelsea. Fulham, they're kind of flustering a little bit uh, as of late, but they they beat Chelsea on the first game back uh, from the international break. So. It, they, they've just been terrible. They've just been they've been boring, which is like the worst thing, especially for an American owner who probably thinks soccer's boring anyway. He's like, God, my team is just wildly unfun to watch. Um, so I mean, they, they're kind of out of this. Um, they, they've got Champions League to hold their hat to, and you know, they drew Real Madrid, which will come up in a few weeks. They'll have to deal with them. Uh, they've just been bad. Looking toward the bottom of the league, you now got West Ham in the relegation zone. If I remember correctly, I asked you a question about what would be the most embarrassing if someone got relegated. I can't remember if you said West Ham or Brighton, but West Ham, I think, had to be in the mix. Southampton yeah. appears to be. Now, granted, they're all only one point apart and only two points of being out of relegation. Uh, Leicester City's actually now fallen into that mix. It's tightened up a bit, but you've seen West Ham drop into that bottom three spot. It's West Ham, Bournemouth, and Southampton for the relegation spots. Biggest disaster of the three if they got relegated, and would it be close? Which one is it? 
Oh, it's West Ham without a doubt. I mean, if it, that's that's would be the most embarrassing with the amount of money in that in that club where they are in London. You know how they've been the past few years. It would be really shocking for them to go down. Uh, but I mean, th- this is kind of a season where you know the relegation you know chase has been as interesting as <laughs> as the top of the league. If you look at you know from Crystal Palace at twelfth to Southampton at twentieth, they are separated by four total points. I was about to say twelve like to the, the, NBA, you just said 12 to the bottom's four points. That's like a match and a half. No, it, it, absolutely. I mean, it's similar to the NBA West this season. I mean, like there's like the sixth seed. I mean, the four seed and the twelve seed is separated by three games. I mean, there's just not a lot of wiggle room. I mean, it could be anyone from Crystal Palace that's eight spots ahead could absolutely be going down. Um, or it could be the three that are currently there. There's there's only so many matches left, but it's going to be a fascinating chase to the bottom for for these league, these teams in this league. I got down a huge rabbit hole not too long ago of the second and third league of English uh, football, we'll call it. And I was fascinated by I started looking at like the third league and like how many of these teams have been up in the Premier League since I don't know with an American term like. Uh, post desegregation or something, you know, last half century. And there's a few in there. From a perspective of like, there was a club in there and I can't remember what it was. I want to say it was like Blackpool or something. They had been in oh, the yeah. league like as recently as like the nineties and are now in like the third league. Like how, how does that happen? And I imagine getting back up is obviously a hell of a lot harder than going back down. Like from a financial standpoint, significant standpoint, how, like how tough is it when you drop down a league and then God forbid too, like, are you just screwed as a football club? Like, what is that actually like? <laughs> Relegation, when you are relegated from the Premier League, it is just insanely difficult to get back in um, because of how competitive the championship is, which is like the second league. I mean, you're just looking at some of these teams. I mean, Burnley was there last year. Sheffield was there last year. Norwich was there last year. Norwich is in seventh. Like, they're, they are yeah. not going back up. I mean, they're going to be in that league again. Burnley is and Sheffield almost assuredly are going back up. But, I mean, if you look at these teams – I mean, West Brom was in the Premier League two years ago. Watford was in the Premier League last year. They aren't going up. It is just insanely difficult that once you get up there, staying is so important because of the financials. And a lot of times what you'll see, I mean, I am just have the championship pulled up. Uh, I mean, I can name, you know, all these teams have been in the Premier League in the last 20 years, but they're now they're not in it. Um, you know, the big six never go down, but a lot of these teams are just simply up and down, you know, they call them yo-yo clubs, up and down, up and down. And that kind of financial strain, the the difference between being there and then being down, and then God forbid if you go down to the third league, which if you go down to the third league, you'll recognize clubs, you'll know those guys. You'll be like, Oh my god, I've heard of that team before. Um, the ownership situations will f- will just vary so dramatically. You'll have you know, owners that just simply cannot afford to keep these teams competitive or they can't afford to keep them once they get to the Premier League. You know, this that kind of uh, situation with a lot of these clubs. So, I mean, it just it is a death pit. And it's why, you know, there's been so much talk and so much publicity with Ryan Reynolds and and McElhenney and Wrexham because that team has not been out of that league in like 25 years. And that's the fifth league. You know, it, it's how difficult it is to go up. And then it's even more difficult to stay up which is why, you know, these investments are so fascinating and all of these people are trying to buy these clubs because the reward is so high. 
but the risk is so much different than owning an American sports team. So, I mean, it's like gambling. I mean, and these, these owners are the lifeblood of these clubs. It's how they compete. It's how they change. There's been a lot of backlash about what's going on in Wrexham because they don't think it's fair that they have so much more money than a lot of the other owners that they're able to do it. But that's just the name of the game. No one's stopping anybody from doing it. They were just the first ones to see the opportunity and be like, wow, not only can we you know, enhance our own brand, but we can really enhance the brand of this club and this community and like, you know, do one good thing for us, one good thing for them. And next thing you know, they're like an international sensation. It just doesn't happen with all these clubs, though. You know, you just see so many horror stories like Sunderland. You can watch, you know, their little thing on, on Netflix. That's so fat. Or I think it's actually on Amazon. It's fascinating. And Leeds and like just the the catastrophe that can happen with some of these clubs that are so historic that go down, it just can ruin them. And that's why it's so important and so competitive. And you see teams like Nottingham, like once they get in, they buy 26 players. It's like, we're all in, we have to stay up. Or when we go back down, you know, we're fucked. And you see it over and over again, year in, year out. It makes me wish so badly American sports had some version of relegation. Like I know it's completely unrealistic, but like the, oh, I'm trying to think of a good example. The, not lions, but like I don't Jaguars. know. The Jaguars would be the one that you'd be like, some of the years they've had, you'd be like, wow, like, you know, if we had another league, like you could see them being up and down and up and down. Yes. What if they were just never to be heard from again? Like what if, <laughs> what if they were just three leagues down, no one watched it. And that was it. That's just absolutely nuts to me. I wish American sports had some version of that because I think it would. I mean, my God, if baseball could use it, it would drive those cheap asses to spend money at some point. You know what I mean? It's just, it's fascinating to me. I baseball is the one you could, the baseball is the one you could do it in. Yeah. Because of the amount of talent and the amount of players, these guys don't need to really even go to college all that often. Now they kind of do because of NIL. You could, if you had all these triple A and double A and single A teams just decide that we're going to break off in our own league. And had them agree with MLB. I mean, like, how many the athletics would you wouldn't have to worry about moving them to Vegas because they'd be in single A now. Exactly. Um, it, it's what's so great about about soccer, about international football, and all the different countries, not just in England, because every season there is hope in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. There's goals to be set that is not a championship. That's why it sucks listening to the American media talk about the MVP or talking about championships and ring culture because it's so consolidated into something that is so unrealistic for like the vast majority of the entire league and so the one thing the nfl has over a lot of the others is that there is parity real parity the Bengals went from the one pick to two years later the super bowl and but they didn't have external competitions except for themselves and you know them proving they could do it in soccer, you know, not only do you have all the different tournaments that, that are in, you know, in season, but, you know, just being Fulham and coming up this year and finishing 10th, that is just a massive win and no one's going to be disappointed, you know. And then even if you're like Tottenham or, or Brighton, if you get to fifth and you get to play in a different, you know, European league, that's a massive accomplishment. It's just something that is so different uh, over there than over here. And it's why that's when that Super League came up the entire continent was so fucking frustrated because it was like, you're taking away the one thing. Now I understand. Community has. And that is just this semblance of hope, whether it's real or not going into every season. And once you follow it for a few years, you kind of like really understand and appreciate 
this pyramid and what they've built. And yeah, the big six will always be the big six. That That's at least in England. That's just how it is. Madrid and Barcelona aren't going down anytime soon. But the other clubs, like there, there is a real reason to have these seasons, you know, which rhymes, of course. But that, that's why it's such an addicting sport and over there, why it's so important. It is college sports when it used to be college sports, when you could go nine and three and go to a good bowl game and be excited about it. Uh, you don't have that anymore because of the playoff, because we're in America. We're a playoff centric uh society you know the brackets you know we love it all and it makes more money and over there it, it's just so different it's it's so much more pure even though you know man united is about to get bought by a qatari you know warlord at some point so oh hell yeah we got more corruption in the mix I can't, <laughs> so the saudis versus the qataris i cannot wait to see how that goes that's just a battle of moral purity uh yeah but well said i didn't mean to cut you off there i just no you're good you're good i had nothing wrong when you said warlord, I had to jump in. I just, I love it when you add some global geopolitics conflict into the mix, but dude, that was so well said. Cause you beat me to it. Like ring culture. Like we may have won the revolutionary war, but uh, the English eradicated the scourge that is ring culture. They now have reason to hope. We call it participation trophies. They call it hope. He is Walden Rodenberg. Great stuff as always, my friend. We'll check in with you toward the end of spring. And, of course, another soccer corner. Probably get our annual late May emergency soccer corner. And great stuff as always, my man. We'll talk to you soon. All right. See you, Rip. All right, that's going to do it for our show today. Appreciate you listening as always. We'll be back at actually tomorrow, maybe later tonight. I recorded an SEC preview with uh, SEC preview, Ole Miss A&M preview with Colin. Um, some great uh, discussion about Ole Miss A&M and what an important series it is for the Rebels and uh, some nice little story time at the end. I'll tease that for sure. So uh, we'll be back at, with, at you with one more podcast um on thursday friday but i appreciate you guys listening as always and we will catch you again here soon